welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Menrod, and this week on Streams of Progress, I sat down with Asuncion Molinos Gordo, a research-based artist with a new project installation on display in the Artist Garden at Jamil Art Center. In this episode, we explored the rural agricultural themes in her works and the notion of the divide between the natural and man-made. Her research contributes to a conversation of the role of farmers in our societies and how they are often portrayed. We covered a lot in the discussion about our past, present, and future works, so let's jump right into it. We're sitting here with Asuncion Molinos Gordo, a research-based artist who has the latest installation at Jamil Art Center. The name of it is called In Transit, Botany of a Journey. And before we go over what that is, I want our listeners to understand a bit more about you. Who are you? If you can give us just a quick background. Where do you come from? Yeah, so I come from a very small village in rural Spain called Guzman. It's by the Duero River. Uh, this river used to be the border between the Christian and the Muslim kingdoms back, you know, in the days. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm trained as an artist, but I basically work with culture that has to do with the rural context or with the international peasantry. What is international peasantry? What is international peasantry? So basically, I mean, coming from a rural background and realizing that there's a lot of practices that are very much attached to, you know, our farming practices that have to do with social behavior, has to do with ways of understanding economy or ways of understanding, you know, the world in general. And then traveling and moving and working in Egypt and working in other countries from the Mediterranean basin, like Jordan and Turkey and stuff, I realized that many of the things that we do in my village, other farmer societies do as well, and we don't share like language, we don't share modes of production, we don't share religion, we don't share... There's so many things that apparently it will take us apart, you know? It's like, okay, these people are so different, and then because we have the same practice, which has to do with farming, or has to do with rural cultures, there's so many things that make us be the same. So, I mean, when I came up with this idea of like international peasantry, it has to do with there is like this international sense of identity, that is very much uh, related to what we are doing rather than where do where we're born or what's our, the color of our skin or whatever, all these other things that, in principle, people see them as differences. But there's these shared practices. It's like you're saying we have multiple agricultural societies. Different. Exactly. Yeah, and they, 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 many of them, they, they have similar understanding of, you know, family values, for instance, or they have, uh, or neighboring, you know, how the way you treat your neighbor or like... Uh, the the way you understand economy is not always through currency. You know what I mean? Is there's so many other modes of generating economy that is not based on capital. You know, capi- the, the basics of capitalism. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this was something that I just learned little by little, also by putting farmers in contact from different locations. So if I would invite my, invite my father from Spain into Egypt, and he will engage in conversation, in conversation, you know, with a uh, farmer from Luxor, like in Upper Egypt, they will be talking. They don't speak the same language, you know, but they will be constantly talking and they will understand each other. And do you think, is there some knowledge sharing going there's on there? There's some knowledge, there's some approach to life. I really don't know what to say. It's kind of magical in a way, you know. And so they, they could be like the whole day in the field, you know, like touching the soil and trying to explain things and stuff with gestures, obviously, and, and they will do some sounds yeah. as well, but it wouldn't, you know, mean much. Yeah. But it's just like a general kind of like tuning 
somehow there's some sense of yeah. harmony they or, get into you know, sync they yeah they're in sync and then you can have you know like a very well trained you know anthropologist who speaks perfect arabic and stuff like this and they will not engage in conversation in the same way yeah And what is your education background? Is that what fine you study? Arts. Yeah, fine I did the okay. fine arts degree. In Madrid? In Madrid. Yeah, and then I had some knowledge on anthropology and ethnography, you know, methodology of research that I implement in a not very orthodox way, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like those are kind of like the tools that I use for my research that has to do with, you know, like anthropology, but also has to do with, you know, art practices. And you said your family, you came from farming background or your families. Yes. So why the fine arts? What drew you to fine I mean, arts? Well, or? that was also something that I started very early. I mean, as, as I said, like uh, rural cultures are very complex. Uh, and so within a very small village, you will have musicians, you will have artists, you will have sculptures, you will have photographers, you will have a priest, you will have like a doctor, you will have a bit of everything. Yeah. It's so like a mini city. It's a mini city. Yeah. Yes, it is. And everybody plays like a very important role. So, I mean, the first person that I learned from, uh, about art was about the existing artist already there. So there was this uh, sculpture called Crest, and he was already practicing. He had a studio. I used to be the annoying kid, you know, going every afternoon, what are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I mean, uh, some, some countries, I mean, you have art pretty much everywhere. So I could access, you know, like museums and stuff later in life but i mean yeah and what eventually brought you to this side of the world because you were in spain yeah and then you said you got exposure into egypt and yeah. turkey and different places i moved to egypt in 2010 uh, and with a research residency at the townhouse gallery to do a project that had to do with agriculture in egypt because for a long time i was very much interested about you know egypt as a agricultural country they have like five thousand years of history on farming And when I was there, I, I, yeah, I, I visited the Museum of Agriculture and I, got, I was very much seduced by this place and I, that was the beginning of it. And then the project continued and then I, I wanted to stay there for longer and then I just left uh, in 2013. So three years you were in Three Egypt. years in Egypt and then to Oman. I moved to Muscat. And would you say the theme of a lot of your work has been around that contemporary peasantry yeah. idea? Yeah. I mean, rural cultures, not only peasantry, because in, in the rural world, as I said, you have many different jobs. Uh, so in other occasions, I've been working with the shepherds, and in other occasions, I've been working with builders, and builders that they were not trained as architects. Or like, again, musicians and folklore. I mean, there's so many other forms of knowledge production that happens in the villages that... Some relate to agriculture, others don't. Yeah. So it was a, a bit of a bigger scope. And some of these were artworks you did? Or? Yeah. So basically the, the main work that I do is ongoing research and every now and then there is an, a project that comes out of it. So projects that I've done in the past have to do with the impact of bureaucracy in, in European farmers, you know, how... Uh, the European Union is really affecting, you know, the, the workload of the farmers because there, there's so much paperwork that they need to do, and it really mediates the relationship to the territory. Uh, I've done work with the impact of biotechnology on food, and where are the consequences of applying these te uh, technologies into into food production. Uh, I've done work with uh, a vernacular architecture uh, done by shepherds that is obsolete and is no longer operating. Uh, you know, I've done work that has to do with food trade and how, you know, the commercial agreements are also having an impact in our diets. 
Economics so, as well. It's economics not... as well. Economics more, is fascinating. It's one of the things that I would really like to learn more about. I'm totally clueless about the economy, but I'm <laughs> very much attracted. But it seems a lot of your work is also touches upon these types of regulatory aspects that yeah. go back to the economics yeah, exactly. for yeah. these rural societies. Yeah. And was it in 2015 you were part of the Charge Biennale? Yes. The, your project was the World Agriculture Museum. Yes. Just for our audience, what was the World Agriculture Museum? What was this project? What was it? So that was the project that took me to Egypt in the first place. And so basically, if you go and see it, it's a site-specific installation that looks like a colonial museum. You know, a museum done under the time of the British protectorate. So from the outside, it looks like an old... Uh, you know, like dusty, kind of like obsolete museum. But the data and the information that displays uh, has to do with the impact of biotechnology. It has to do with uh, how GMOs have come to to be part of the food production and what do they really mean and what is the impact, you know, how uh, there's this intellectual property rights on seeds that yeah. farmers can no longer assess. And then, yeah. So it had to do basically, I mean, we were... Uh, talking about, like, I mean, the, the, the museum had, a, like, an obsolete display uh, to talk about something that, in theory, is related to progress. You know, I mean, talking about the name of your podcast. <laughs> or oh, it's being sold to us, in a way, as progress. This is a way of development. And then when you actually look at the, the B side of things, there's a lot of impoverishment that is coming with the implication of these technologies, that it doesn't really mean development. It means uh, disintegration. It means you know, the construction of rural societies, the construction of access to basic resources, uh, the construction of healthy systems. So that museum kind of explored that. The controversies around GMO, basically. And that was also... So this is in Egypt, but then you brought that, it yeah, to Sharjah? Exactly. For this, the... this was a museum that I started in, I started in Egypt, and then it's an, an exhibition that has been touring. It has been shown in the UK at the Arnolfini. I was shown here in, in Sarja at the Biennial. Then it traveled to the Mossack Museum in Spain. So it's an exhibition that is... It's the same exhibition that travels or it adapts it's to the, the local... I mean, it adapts, adapts to the context, uh, but this, the idea remains. You know, it's always, always a colonial museum, always has to do with GMO. But the data is, uh, if it needs to be ad- updated, it's updated. And also what it changes is the language. So when it has been shown in Spain, it was in Spanish. When it was shown here, it was in Arabic and English, like in Egypt and so on. And... Uh, in 2019, you also represented Spain at the Havana Biennale? Yeah. Uh, was that also this World Agriculture Museum no. or another project? No, no, no. It was, was another project. The other project is called uh, the Campesino a Campesino, which means from peasant to peasant. Uh, so basically, uh, the whole project involved uh, inviting the last three farmers left in my village. Uh, there's no other... They are between 30 and 40 years old and... Uh, there's no replacement. There's no new farmers coming after them. So their children, they didn't continue? Their children, uh, they, some of them don't have children, and the ones who have, they don't have the guarantee that the kids are going to be wanted to be farmers. Yeah. So for the moment, they are the only ones who have the responsibility of, in the future, running a very large uh, area. You know, it's like the 2,700 hectares of land that uh, it was before divided between many farmers. And it's slowly, and, slowly. And now, I mean, slowly, slowly. I mean, uh, basically the future of... That kind of piece of the planet is going to be depending on the type of farming that they do. So these guys are basically uh, trapped in a deep uh, structure. They have uh, or, or, um, industrial agriculture. They use a crazy amount of pesticides, and they don't longer want to continue doing that for their own health, for their kids' health, for everybody. 
But the thing is, uh, there's a lot of like money implications on that. Yeah, they're stuck in that. In they're stuck way. in that. Yeah. Mm. It's like a mode of production that requires a lot of like external funding, requires subsidies, requires bank loans, and like a lot of like external input in a way. So basically, the idea was okay, we are going to Cuba. Cuba is now the only sustainable country in the world that is doing sustainable agriculture. And I'm not the one who's saying this. This is said by the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. They were the ones who pointed out you guys are the only ones who are doing sustainable agriculture. And all of this came from a situation of total catastrophe. You know, I mean, the, the Cubans have gone through so much stuff, you know, so they have the special period. Uh, they have the blockage, they have, you know, so it was this point where they were left on their own. And they with had their to own adapt hands, to this. And they have to adapt. So they went to traditional agriculture. And they now are doing very well and they have this really diversity of crops and they, they are really feeding themselves, they're feeding the island. So what I wanted is to have this exchange of knowledge between farmers, you know, Spanish farmers and Cuban farmers, where the, the Spanish could learn from the Cubans. You know, it's like, okay, how you guys did it, how you confronted, you know, like these uh, difficulties. How did you manage to keep yourself together? How did you manage to come out of the loop of industrial agriculture and move into organic at this scale? So it was like a knowledge sharing? It was the so idea it was that a knowledge were... sharing. That was the idea. So basically the project name, the Campesino Campesino, is a methodology developed by farmers in Nicaragua and then the Cubans were the ones who implemented that is very interesting because it breaks all of the hierarchies of knowledge uh, exchange. So you don't longer have you know, the expertise, like as in the engineer who comes and tells the farmer what to do, is now now between farmers. They're on the same level of expertise. They are being put up as the ones who are knowing. The experts. They the, experts the experts, exactly. And and then that was the, the project. Involved like 17, 17 days of uh, visits to different farms and learning from the farmers directly. So that was the actual. Was there anything on display for people to see as well? Was there? Then there was a yeah. We did a public presentation on the Museum of Natural History, uh, but the project was thought as uh, very very intimate in a way, very internal. Like okay, the the ones who are really going to benefit from the project are the, are the farmers themselves, ones. the actors, and the you know the the, the audience as well yeah. at the same time. And then yeah, we share it in the context of the biennial. Oh, very we had a talk. Yeah. Just want to cover a few more themes before we get to sure. transit. Yeah, you also did something at the VNA. Was that also one of these projects or another one? No, this was. Uh, I was taking part on this exhibition uh, called "Food Bigger Than the Plate." Food bigger than okay, and it's a collective one. So there was a lot of different artists and designers and thinkers who were involved in this in the exhibition, and everybody co covered like an area of expertise. So basically, on this uh, show, I presented these. A work that is called uh, well, it has a Spanish name, but again, what is this? <laughs> Curriculum Campesino again, like the farmer CV, you know. So basically, the, uh, what it was was two pieces of paper, I mean two CVs, that in which I used the language of academia. You know, like um, there are certain uses of language when you have to describe what you are doing. Yeah. So academia is very good at uh, using the. <laughs> Hyperbole, I don't know this word. Hyperbole. You know, when you are like making things sound extremely good, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh man, you know, like, I don't know. Like, So basically you have this language that basically if you're sitting all day typing emails and boring, you will not say I'm typing emails all day. You will say I'm engaging in conversation with the extra world of I don't know what. No, no, Utilizing no. technology exactly. to push you my know, knowledge. I, I work at that, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> 
So you will really do that. Yeah. So I thought, okay, we, you know, like the knowledge production of farmers is never considered. Farmers are not considered intellectuals, although they are intellectuals, because they are not just growing potatoes, they are growing ideas, they are growing methods, they are growing, you know, uh, uh, theories of the things that they do. There's so many variables that go into just growing that potato. Definitely, definitely. Depending on different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's very complex. The way that, you know, the intellectual production done by the peasantry is extremely rich and extremely complex, but although it's not, considered. it's not considered. And it doesn't have an impact in the world at all. You know what I mean? There's this level of stigma, you know, like they have this layer of, I mean, like label of like being backward, they're past, you know, they're, they belong to the past and they, they need to be gone, you know, they need to, in order for us to progress, they need to disappear. In a way, you know what I mean? There's th these kind of ideas are, are circulating, I tell you, because I confront them quite often. <laughs> so basically, yeah, I mean, there was these uh, CVs uh, written in this kind of academic language describing what the farmers are actually so like doing. Like the CV of the farmer. The CV of the farmer. So, at the end, so for that project, I interviewed like a series of farmers of uh, an area of Spain called León. And then from that, I, I, did a, I, I, I created two fictional characters, one female, one male. And, and they were, their CVs were composed of the CVs of many farmers, in a way, of some of the skills of many farmers. So it was like a compilation? It was a combination, yes. So they're part chemists, part biologists? Definitely, all yeah. Of these they, oh my God. In, they, yeah, yeah, they're mechanics, you know, they're accountants, they're, yeah. Are there any other projects before we move on to Intransit? Because I, I have a whole list here of different places. But yeah. is there any other project that comes to your mind that you think is interesting? Because all of these have been fascinating. The thing is, because they're kind of lengthy to explain. You know what I mean? Each one of them is yeah. kind of like Is there like one a that stands out in your head along um, these things? No, I mean, I think, I mean, I think we can go for Intransit. Okay. So Intransit, Botany of a Journey. What is the story behind this? I mean, what is it? And then how did this come about? Okay, cool. So, well, it's a garden. I mean, it's one of the commissions of Jamil Art Center. It's called the Artist Garden. Every year they invite a different artist. And then when I got the invitation, what I suggested on doing was a garden that it was uh, going to be growing the plants that survive the intestinal transit. So basically, when we are eating our daily meals, a lot of seeds uh, going through our bodies, you know, they are contained in, the, in our intestines, and they leave our intestines undamaged, and they are able to germinate. Uh, so the thing is, the city of Dubai has all of this human traffic, you know what I mean? Like the airplane, I mean, the airport is the busiest in the world. There's like 90 million visitors a year coming into the city and coming from 270 different countries. So inside each one of our bodies, you know, there is a collection of endemic seeds that have to do with our food habits from the place wherever we came from at that time. It doesn't need to be our, yeah, it doesn't even need to be our country of origin. It can be whatever you were at that time and whatever you ate. So the thing is, uh, all of these seeds do the same journey, you know, from the plate, whatever we ate them, and until the switch, uh, the switch treatment plant. So in the city of Dubai, I mean. So basically, the project is that. It's a garden that is, uh, you know, is composed out of the, the plants that survive the intestinal transit. And how did this idea come to you? Or where did yeah, this start come from? So the origin of the idea was uh, when I was here in Emirates again in 2015, taking part of uh, Sarja Biennial as part of a research, new body of research I was conducting. I had the opportunity to visit the Biha Waste Management Plant. 
uh, which is fascinating. I mean, the level of efficiency there is extremely high, and I was like really much seduced, you know, by the way they do things. So we visit, you know, like how they're treating, you know, glass and plastic and, you know, like uh, wood and stuff. And then uh, the engineer was a very gentleman, you know, who was very much generous, you know, and he was like, wow, I see you're genuinely interested. If you want, I can also show you the way we are treating, you know, the fecal matter of the city. So, yeah, yeah, if you have the time. So basically we jumped in his uh, jeep and we went into this a place called Estabilization Pond. So it's one of the very efficient techniques of treating the fecal matter. So basically, uh, it's a pond where you collect all of the fecal matter and you let it sit until it gets dry through the air and the uh, and the and the the sun. So it's outdoors. Will help. It's outdoors. Okay. Yeah, it's outdoors. So it was. I was. Very, it was very. It was a very shocking image. You know, you had like the. The, you know, the beautiful desert, and then you have this perfect rectangle of brown matter. And I was just there taking pictures, and and then the engineer said, wow, if you're really interested, then you should come in the right season. No, and he used the word season, and I like didn't crops. quite understand. <laughs> you know, it was like, what do you mean by season? You know, and then he said, yeah, no, the thing is, uh, when there is the humidity levels are right and there's not so much sun or heat, every seed that has survived you know, the digestive system starts germinating. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, you have tomatoes and you have bitingan and then you have, you know, here growing here and you have, you know, all of these things growing. And and I was really shocked. And I was like, wow, this is such an amazing, you know, like metaphor. I don't know, I really, really liked it. Like there's a garden can come can come out of something that in principle is considered like the end of a journey. You know what I mean? That Theoretically, things end there, but it's the beginning of something else. So I thought, okay, one day, inshallah, you know, I will like to do a project about it. And yeah, that was the beginning. So that idea kind of like was there there with me for five years. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the fruition of that. Definitely, yeah. No, and then when I got the invitation to the garden, I right away knew what what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, would you like to try to do this experiment because it hasn't been done before and... You know, I mean, one thing is like they naturally germinate. Another thing is like, can we actually cultivate them? Can we actually grow them in the full circle of life? You know, so it's happening. It's happening. We have. So just for our listeners, what was that process? Because I'm assuming you had to work with some collaborators, some people to help. So what was that process? Now you got invited to do this. How did you do this? Yeah, so how did I do it? I did it with Don Ross and Nadine Aljuri, who are the curators and assistant curator, and they've been with me from minute one, you know, trying to figure out the logistics, you know, and the making of this. It's like, okay, this is the idea. How on earth are we going to make it real, you know? Uh, so basically, uh, I mean, the first thing we did was, like, get a team of advisors, you know what I mean? So uh, from the waste management plant, we talked to the engineers. They were the ones who who were telling us, okay, listen, we, we told them, we are looking for this, we know this thing is happening, and they said, yes, this is happening, we see it all the time. Uh, and it's like, okay, so which, you know, in where, how can we access them? It's like, okay, there's different, uh, there's different processes, and there's this one process that it, there's more chances for the seeds to be contained in that. So, and, and then we selected that, that part of the fecal matter, and then again, in collaboration with Alzara Farm, uh, they led us the facilities. They had one greenhouse, especially for experimentation, that is away from the, the rest of the, of the farm. 
and we could experiment there. And then we had like see a landscape company providing us with some expertise in terms of horticulturalist. And then again with Kumar, uh, our main horticulturalist who has been able to help us. So basically what we did in technical terms, we selected two cubic meters of fecal matter. We transport them to the farm. We had six irrigation lines and we buried the sludge under sand uh, with a little bit of coconut fiber to keep it moist because the sand has no capacity to retain water. And then we had uh, we were irrigate watering them for twice a, a day in inside the the greenhouse, who is already keeping like a stable, you know, humidity and temperature and sun and light. So after like two weeks, uh, the plants are starting growing like this. You after know, two like, after two weeks, I mean, it was like so fast, you know, like wow, they were really ready to come out. <laughs> And, and then, like, uh, a month and a half later, we had already, like, a large seedlings. And with the help of Kumar, we were uh, identifying which one they are there, because some of them, they are very similar. So yeah. unless you have an expert and can tell you which is which, you will, until they crop, you don't know who they are. So basically, Kumar was selecting and transplanting, because there was a point where, because we just uh, planted all the sludge together, they were so tight, they didn't really have the time I mean, sorry, not the time. They didn't have the space, the space to grow. So we had to, you know, remove them, each one of the individuals. And so we selected 600 plants. But we had thousands, thousands of plants. Thousands had come out of that, we ca- out we of that two be- cubic meters. Out of these cu- two cubic meters. So the thing is, we couldn't really allocate all of that because, I mean, our garden is kind of small. So we had, like, enough plants to grow the garden and also to have, like, a backup, you know, because some get diseases, others can get... You know, accidentally someone can break them or... So, yeah, so we got 600 uh, plants from, like, 13 different species and then different varieties. So tomatoes, we have several types of tomatoes. We have several types of zucchini, several times. And do you think that comes back to the what you said earlier about Dubai? There's so many people from yeah, yeah. around the world. I had this type of tomato. You had a different type of tomato. Yeah, definitely. No, and, and I mean, we have mustard. We have mustard seeds. We have amaranthus. Amaranthus is a very old uh, cereal. And we don't know where it came from. And then that, because we, we collected the, the sludge one day. That oh, day. That's a single, yeah. That's one day. At that so time. So at that time, you know, but imagine if the next day, I mean, if this could be done during the period of one year, every year. And also the, the influx of people, you know, like, I mean, how many people are visiting, like, when is the time to the Hajj, you know, I mean... And, and then uh, then during Christmas, you have people coming on holidays from Europe. And then, so there is this, like, also influx of people. That, so it's like getting a timestamp of the city at that time. Exactly, yeah. So it's an interesting way to consider, like, the DNA of a city or the DNA of mm. the people going through a city. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beyond that, there's elements of, I guess, the individual's own microbiome or what's in their own gut mm-hmm. that's yeah. being told through this. I know that kind of hints at what your next project that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Is that for Art Dubai? Yeah. If you can elaborate on what's next or how do you evolve from here? Sure. So, yeah, for basically the the project has two outcomes, like two gardens in a way to say. One is the one we have now currently at Jamil, which is the seed garden. The seeds that travel in our intestines all the way to the city of Dubai. And then and the other one has to do with the microbiota and the bacteria. So basically, again, uh, in each one of our bodies is contained like a very, very, very diverse uh, 
uh, ecosystem, you know, of like microbiota and organisms and stuff, and it's very much unique to that person. So no two single individuals, even if they come from the same family, will have the same microbiota. So some of that uh, will leave our bodies and will die right away, uh, you know, when they reach the treatment plant and stuff, uh, but other will still survive. So this project even is through the even through the, the uh, because but, I mean bacteria is very strong. Yeah, some bacteria is very strong. Other are not so strong. So again, it had to do with the multiplicity. You know, multiplicity of different life forms that are contained in our bodies, and then they end up coming into the same place. So how do they negotiate their life? You know, how they they make sure that they remain or that they, there's a continuation of their life. And when all of these creatures, you know, in one way, I, I always think about the, you know, the bar uh, in Star Wars. You know, where you have all of this... <laughs> the cantina. Uh, the yeah. cantina, yes. Where you have all of these aliens coming from different places. Like, I imagine like this type of scenario, you if know... If they cooperate or they end up exactly, fighting each other. Exactly, Are they going to cooperate? Are they going to, you know, like... You know, they're going to be parasitical to each other. They're going to work on a symbiotical way. How they're going to operate. So the piece that I'm producing now and we're going to be showing in Air Dubai has to do with this... Uh, yeah, I mean, bacteria garden in a way is very abstract in this sense. Uh, where I'm exploring, you know, like the social life of bacteria, how bacteria interacts with each other, how they also coexist, you know, what is the, how they live together at the end of the day. But that's beyond a garden, so it won't be a garden. It won't be a garden, no. It will not be a garden as we understand, or as this one we have here with plants. Uh, it's going to be a sculpture, it's going to be an installation, and it's an abstraction. It's an interpretation of what is, uh, of behavior, behavior patterns that bacteria has. So it's purely, I mean, this is really like a very abstract, I mean, kind of art project. We'll see what it looks like. You're, when, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, more well. welcome to come and see. Speaking about the garden, it should also be noted this current batch of crops is not edible. It's not for Yeah, consumption. this is very important to say. Uh, it's not uh, suitable for human consumption because there can be some risk of bacteria still being present in the plant. So nobody is allowed to eat from the garden. So like things like not E. coli for, or something? Yeah, E. coli can be there and other forms of bacteria. And there is, I mean, most of the farmers that we work with, they said it's totally okay to eat. You know, we, I mean, like bacteria is everywhere. I mean, and, and again, scientists are also like, but there, if there is any little chance, you yeah, know, you don't wanna... I don't want anybody to to suffer from this. You know what I mean? So basically, I mean, it's not suitable for human consumption. Nobody should eat from it from this generation. But the thing is, the idea, we are going to wait until the plants crop. We're going to harvest the goods, you know, the tomatoes and the zucchini and everything, and we're going to keep the seeds for a future generation. If these seeds are grown two more times, there's a process of uh, cleansing that goes with it, and they will be clean from any possible bacteria infection. So in two, three generations, if we keep regrowing these seeds, they will be suitable again for human consumption. There's an interesting thought piece here where this could be replicated in other cities as well, right? Yes, it can be replicated in other cities, uh, but the result, I don't think it will be as diverse, diverse as this one. But that itself is telling a story about the yeah, city. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like, could you see this beyond this project, becoming like a multi-city, maybe even do-it-yourself for people to emulate yeah. in a way? Where I mean, I mean, this project can travel. I mean, I, I'm happy to be invited and to do this project in other cities and find out what is there. Uh, the thing is, there are two things that I've already seen a bit of a, an obstacle, like old cities, you know, imagine like the city of Madrid or the city of London, whatever, they have a very old switch system. And uh, it's not as efficient as his here, I believe. The one you've seen the or the one, one you are the, the, In the old cities, you know what I mean? 
So it will be very difficult to track and to get uh, the seeds in the fecal matter. It will be a lot more challenging technologically as it is here because here everything is very well divided. You know was what it I mean? filtered here? Or yeah, filtered and also like there's different treatment plants. Each one is in charge of one type of waste. So it's very specialized. Uh, in, other, in other places of the world, it's not so specialized. I mean, things are mixed. Things that should not be mixed are mixed. Uh, you know, because the, the systems that they have are like, I don't know how many years old. And so I don't know. I mean... I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that There's one of the advantages of yeah. doing it here is, again, that this is a global city and it has a very effective way of treating the, the, the switch water. I'm wondering, was there any philosopher or artist that you would say inspired some of your early work or your thoughts? Was there certain books you read? Or? Yeah, I have a lot of uh, authors that have influenced uh, my work. This particular project, uh, I was looking very much at the work of Timothy Morton, on the ecological thought, uh, so basically, he he's just saying that whatever kind of like ecological ideas that come right now uh, have um, have an error than many years back. So basically, what he's saying is like, in Western thinking, you know, Western philosophy, there was this division between nature and culture, or between nature and man, no, or man-made. So man-made and man-made and then nature. So basically there was this crack that only happened in that kind of thinking because when you meet other kind of cultures in the world, they don't even have a name for nature because there's no separation. So they have other words to talk about uh, the absoluteness. You know what I mean? The, it's a unity. There's no, there's no split between humans and nature. So they don't have sentences like we do, like I'm going to go and be this weekend in the mountains being in touch with nature. Yeah, going like, on an escape to nature. Yeah, exactly, an escape. Like, as if nature is somewhere... They're far in a virgin place, and then when you're in your house, this is not nature. So basically, he said that uh, this is uh, like a problem in our thinking process. The fact that we have this division and we keep thinking as nature is something else. So one of the things that this project wanted to do is like bond again, you know, like man uh, activities are, are as a natural phenomena. So the fact that this garden came directly from our guts, you know, that these seeds have traveled inside our bodies and we, our bodies have been used exclusively as vehicles. Uh, this proves quite a lot, you know, and also it breaks, it decentralizes the play that humans, I mean, the role that humans play in the world. So now we think of ourselves as the big players, you know, we are the big players, <laughs> you know, we are on the top of the pyramid, we are the ultimate, you know, like invention and the, 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 the top of this evolution thing. And then we are just realizing that for other life forms, we are not the, the, you know, we are not like the ones in charge. We are just like a vehicle for them or we are a home for them, you know, like a universe because loads of like bacteria, as I was saying, it lives only inside of our bodies and we don't have a conscious relationship with them. You know what I mean? Like we, there's no conversation going on. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, so he's one of my, the, the philosophers that has influenced my work, but there's many others. I mean, you have Bandana Shiva, from instance. I mean, she influenced a lot of people. I am one of the, the ones who fall under the her, uh, you know, like, oh, my God, enchantment. She totally enchanted me. <laughs> and then there's many others. I mean, like, and then people that I'm recently getting to know, like the work of Munir Fashe, a Palestinian mathematician. He's really, really interesting. And then, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, many, many others. I mean, I don't... Some of these influence you, not even not directly, maybe into a project, but yeah, I mean, in, in just your thought. I mean, it's just like I mean, sometimes they cross over. So I mean, like 
Uh, I did this one exhibition based on Davis Harvey concept of accumulation by dispossession directly. No, so there are like sometimes the the way that I learn about things is very weird. Uh, not weird, but I mean, it's the other way around basically. So I I talk to people. I talk to you know like you know farmers or like. Uh, bakers or like cookers or like uh, nutritionists and stuff and I learn about things and then a few years later I'll, I find out that somebody already has done an entire PhD about that and it's like damn it I should have read the book before <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean it's like these guys are like five years looking at these and they have you know like they really have it like in like I don't know 300 Summarized pages it, yeah. you know and like <laughs> but I mean I guess it's nice that through the experience also you have other kind of information that it hasn't been rendered because... That you know, hands-on gives you something yeah. else. Also because each individual kind of render, renders information differently. Yeah, you and me can interview the same person. You will keep in your memory some things I will keep uh, other... No, sometimes they will coincide, sometimes... No, because every, everything resonates with your personal story. And I think that's why a lot of people, when they think yeah, of lateral thinkers, they look at different industries and they're able to pull different things because of their exposure to yeah. different ideas. Mm-hmm. So similar to what you're saying, you're exposed to that baker. Maybe there's something there you will take in mm. where someone else is just following the instructions just as is. Yeah. You notice something else because of maybe something else you've also been exposed to. Mm, and that all comes back mm. together. Uh, speaking of that, do you have any personal routines or habits you tend to do that you think are unique to you? Like this, what you just described now is... Mm-hmm pretty unique to you do you have any habits you tend to do though maybe something you do daily or weekly whether working on I'm, a project i'm very or, or, disorganized okay so that itself is so, a, <laughs> that is your habit routine as routine i wish i had one so disorganization is your routine i mean it's like total chaos is kind of my routine i mean then things fall into place but okay there are things that i have the tendency to do okay they don't happen in order you know but in a way i always try to go to the source of uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how to explain this. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, try to to go directly to the source of the knowledge production. I don't know if this is very okay. weird. So, no, so, no, it makes sense. Like, I mean, maybe you know, the like, treatment plant. You want to yeah, see I mean, how this exactly. is done. So, I know like the people who are there confronting that kind of situation on a daily basis are the ones who are really going to know. You know, so again, and, and also relying or having the tendency to really at the end have these collective projects. Because at the end I was just saying, okay, wow, there, we are so many in this project. I mean, I don't feel like saying it's my project, it's our project, you know what I mean? It's like we have the engineers, we have the agronomists, we, we have, of course, you know, Don and Nadine uh, being there on top of everything. And, and then Kumar, who joined at last. So at the end I have the tendency to have projects that uh, turn out in, into a group of people, you know. Yeah. You're like the composer, and that's your orchestra. I mean, Everyone it's just is. like I mean, you know, like uh, I mean, basically because uh, they require different forms, expertise, and different views, and uh, so yeah, it starts being like, okay, is my idea fine? But I mean, end up being like, okay, is our project? You know, it's like we have done it between, yeah. So I'll move on to our rapid fire questions. These are like short answer, long answer, whatever you mm. want. So we know the expo is coming in the next nine months, uh, World Expo 2020. So we're going to have a lot of people from around the world Mm -hmm. here. Uh, We have our main highway, which is Sheikh Zayed Road. Mm -hmm. And if we could give you a billboard to put one message for people, not to promote any of your work, but just a message for people 
everyone visiting in the next year. Oh man, this is so difficult <laughs> <laughs> to synthesize. This is one of the things I really struggle with. It's like, okay, how to narrow things down, you know, instead of expand, reduce, reduce. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have an answer for this right now, but uh, if you give me a couple of days. <laughs> you know, because I'm in a billboard. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a car, how many seconds do you have to read a billboard? You know, I let's mean, say they're stuck in traffic. Ah, okay, if they're stuck in traffic, <laughs> then I can put a little bit more. <laughs> There's a lot of people. They're stuck in traffic. Oh man, I have. Wow. What would be the theme if you don't know what it is? What What do you think? I would mean, be the theme definitely, you would like I will address show? the whole thing about nature culture divide. Okay. You know, the whole thing about coexistence, the idea of interdependence. You know, like the whole idea that. Uh, if we ever aim to achieve some kind of real balance on things, uh, they need to be something called mutual recognition. So unless we recognize each other mutually, and when I mean like this, is like, uh, it's not just acknowledging, okay, you are in the room with me, but it's like, okay, you are here in this city with me, and thanks to the work and thanks to the labor you're putting here, these things are happening. So I don't think here or anywhere else there is this mutual recognition just yet. That's why earlier I was telling you how, you know, farmers are not really recognized for the job they are doing at this point. They are feeding the world. They are generating all of this knowledge. They don't have the credit in a way. You know what I mean? While other areas of expertise, uh, they are doing work that is okay, you know, and it has its value and stuff, but they get all of the credit. Yeah, the perception is... You know, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if, if one way, I mean, if I could, you know, I mean, pick a word, pick a word, okay, pick a word. So then I will pick, you know, codependence or co coexistence or cohabitation. I really don't know yet, but along the lines of like mutual recognition, you know? I always think that this is just a personal thing when I'm sometimes sitting in traffic. Mm -hmm. I tend to look at the car next door and think, I wonder where they're going. I yeah. wonder what they're doing. Are they going out to dinner? Are they going home to the family? Where, where are they going? Because we never think about them. We're sitting in the cars. There's all these cars going by. Yeah. And, and this comes back to sometimes you might get angry, you're in traffic. But then you have to realize that's someone else. There might be a reason they did that. There might be... This is a whole different yeah. thing. But it's to stop and think for a second that that's another individual yeah. just as complex their life is just yeah as loaded as loaded complex strange whatever mm. as yours and they're going about their lives but we never think about that yeah we t we tend to think about if it's family or friends people we mm. know yeah but we don't think of that stranger yeah it's true yeah because it remains a stranger this is the thing this is the obstacle to overcome yeah. you know what i mean when a stranger is your brother. I mean, in one way, I mean, within the Arab culture, uh, there is this idea of brotherhood, you know, and being brothers and stuff like this, uh, that is not in every other culture. So, I mean, the, I think in this part of the world, or in some parts of the world, there's a more of a level of awareness about to the other extent. person, to some extent. I mean, I remember being in Cairo. In Cairo, if you really wanted to do that, you could totally put your window down and just ask the, the guy next, where are you going? <laughs> because there's so much conversations going on in traffic, you know, like, or what kind, I mean, I've been in, in, in cars in Cairo and people have been asking me what type of music I'm listening to or if I have a cigarette or like, you know, all types of things. So I guess we have to overcome this whole thing about the stranger, you know, seeing the stranger, I mean, maybe they, to reach this point where, I mean, yeah, there's no... You know, the familiar and the unfamiliar, you know, the inside and the outside come to the same ground. I think, yeah, something along the line, coexistence or the idea mm. that we're all part of this together. We're part of one ecosystem. Yeah. Which comes back to the idea of the gut. Yeah, definitely. Full of these millions of different bacteria. Mm -hmm. 
they're either cooperating, fighting, but at yeah. the end they're all within here. Yeah, exactly. And they're the ones that drive our digestive system. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll move on to the next question. If there was a book you were going to gift to people, or a book you have gifted to people, what is the book you would... Okay, so a book I just uh, actually ordered for someone online or, okay. <laughs> just this morning. So what it was? <laughs> it was a Stolen Harvest. A Stolen Harvest by Bandana Shiva. And what is that about? Uh, it's a book uh, that tells you about the struggle over seeds and how... Um, the farmers are no longer being able to access the main oh, like patented resource. seeds yeah. and those. Okay, so it's a bit Monsanto, I mean, like something. Uh, along those I mean, they are yeah there, but uh, there's it's a big it's a it's a bigger picture than Monsanto because they are the ones who are always you know blamed to do all yeah. the things and they do it. I mean, yeah. it's not that they don't do it. <laughs> but there's <laughs> but others. I mean, there's like thing. many other actors yeah. and it's a very complex. Yeah. Okay. It has to do with cultural values at the end of the day. Of recognizing the job that scientists do in the lab, but not recognizing the job that farmers do in the land. Yeah. And giving them credit. For yeah, exactly. And giving yeah. them credit. And credit means money, yeah. also, at the end of the day. And compensation. And compensation, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have any favorite documentaries? Yep. Darwin's Nightmare. <laughs> That's one of them. What is that one? I don't, I don't remember who did it. Damn it. Yeah. Sorry. We'll look <laughs> it up. I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. We'll put it in notes. And uh, so basically it tells you about the story of Lake Victoria. So Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. It's where the Nile River starts. And uh, back in the 60s, there was a man who put a fish in that water. There was the perch, the perch of the Nile. And that fish ate all of the, all the fishes and reduced the, lake of the, the life of the lake to its own existence. So he was the biggest predator. This fish ate everything there, and now it only survived because it's eating itself. It's eating its own children. So it's cannibalizing itself. It's cannibalizing at the end. So basically, from being one of the most diverse uh, lakes in the world, it turned into a monocrop. It turned into only one fish. And then the movie opened up many other layers of complexity that goes associated to the lake that has to do with human life around the lake, the impoverishment of the fishermen, how the fishermen's uh, wives have to go into prostitution. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a very, very painful documentary to watch. So you really have to be prepared. If somebody watches, it should be at the beginning of the day, not at the end of the day. <laughs> you don't go to sleep thinking about that. You will not go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's a real nightmare for, for sure. That sounds interesting. If Okay, going back to the thought of Expo and the things that Dubai is doing as a city, it's pretty... They, they do some very out-there ideas, very moonshot, if you call it. If there was one dream initiative they could do, if they said, Asuncion, tell us what to do. Oh my God, Anything this is even there. more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> we got through the other one. You, yeah. you came up with Yeah, something. I came up with another. <laughs> but I think in order to really know, I should I mean, know more about Dubai. I don't think I know well enough the city to be able to say something that is grounded on, ex on experience. So my, okay, so my knowledge... Let's go beyond Dubai. Dubai is willing to do it, but this could be anywhere. Okay, if I have a dream thing. Yeah, a dream project that you would like to see. Done. Okay, so I would like to <laughs> be invited to do this garden, but on a bigger scale. Like and what to, does that mean? How that, big? that means like one year of growing like every a farm, year. an actual farm? No, not an actual farm, but uh, growing samples coming from the coming from the, from the the management plant and seeing what type of plants are growing because I know that there's a lot more plants than didn't grow because... Of, the samples we, we took that day were only two cubic meters, you know. There were many others that are still there and they didn't grow. 
So what will be the whole spectrum, the real botany of the of the journey, where you could see really all of the plants that are contained there? But of one day, or you want? Like well, a whole we need year? a lot of time in, in that. I mean, we will need definitely. I mean, I don't know if one year, but one month, for instance. I don't know. You know, take a smaller amounts maybe, but on, on different days, on different times of the day, uh, and trying to trying to really map the 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 real wealth of the botany of this international, you know, like coalition of intestines. You know what I mean, like. That would be like a dream world. A dream, yeah. Well, that would be interesting. And, and then, because now we have 13 species, but I'm sure that there's a lot more in there. Yeah, what, what are some of the species that you... you so have? we have tomatoes, we have zucchini, uh, we have uh, cucumber, we have lemon, we have pomegranate, we have amaranthus, we have uh, chilies, we have mustard... Uh, where else we have? Melons, I think. Melons, yeah. yeah. And pumpkin. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, very, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty... That's diverse. pretty... Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. And these, you had to companion plant them as well? Yes. When this we, is an important part of the work as well. So basically when, we, when I was designing the garden, I did it in the form of terrace garden. So the plants could be allocated. The plants will have similar water needs will be sharing the same space. So ones don't get over water and the water the other ones don't get water enough. So by having the terrace garden in each level I have you know put plants that have the same water needs and also we have done the planting according to something called companion planting. What does it mean companion planting? So within traditional farming farming the, the you know the, the international peasantry knows that there are plants that benefit from growing next to each other. So on the contrary of monocrops, where you only have one crop, farmers will have two or three crops next to each other because they will benefit each other. So for instance, one of them is the Azteca, uh, Azteca from the Mexican, from the uh, original American people. Um, so they had like uh, corn and then beans and then pumpkin next to each other growing together because one of them will fix nitrogen in the soil the other one will use the stand uh, to grow on it and so on. So there will be this companion planting, meaning like, you know, there's this symbiotic relationship between plants that can also be implemented in agriculture. And then at the same time, when you eat it in the same dish, so when you have a frijoles, you know, like uh, with corn and stuff like this, for your the nutritional value, it adds up because they are food that also when you eat it together, they increase uh, the amount of nutrition you can get from it or reduce there are other there are other foods and if you eat together they will they will not really benefit from it because they will they're canceling each other they canceling each other values oh, so there's companion eating as well there's companion, companion eating for sure yeah, yeah 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 any any woman that is at the moment pregnant i tell you that they know about companion eating <laughs> <laughs> they're really looking into their diets <laughs> getting enough for their babies <laughs> Are there any takeaways from your research that we can leave with the listeners? Like if there's a specific takeaway from these different research projects? Takeaways? I don't understand. What like learnings, like lessons from, from this. From this particular project? Yeah. Oh, from this particular project or past, past research projects. you have done. Because these are research. In yeah, the, yeah, these are research. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, main, like a brief in a way is just like, uh, knowing or being aware that in rural cultures worldwide uh, there is a hell of a lot of wealth on knowledge and on heritage and is a, and I find it that is crucial for our future survival. I mean, in a way, I mean, I believe that, uh, you know, like 
modern society is extremely interesting and we have managed to achieve great things and in terms of health and you know medical treatments and stuff like this but at the same time there is some flashiness that comes with it comes with technology that it has this extra layer of extra light that is blinding us to other things you know what i mean you know there is some blindness that comes with development or that comes with progress so how about we understand progress in a way that is not so technology center and that is not so urban center progress can be also in the way uh, you greet your neighbor in a small village in like Anatolia in Turkey. Or it can be, I mean, the way we think about progress, it should not only be based on economics, economics or, technology. or technology, or it should be also on on guaranteeing the, the perpetuation of our own species, which we are not really doing. I should say this also. <laughs> I mean, it comes back to, I mean, there's a whole different debate but even climate change all of these mm. issues we face now is because yeah. we lost touch with these yeah definitely the other sides of progress yeah 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 so one of the conversations i was having with don the curator of the project uh, we were talking about she's from australia we were talking about the fire in australia and she was telling me how the land that has been managed by the original people had much less fires than the ones that were managed or they were not part of the aboriginal land because of the way of relating to the territory, how you, you know, like the fire started because these bushes set on fire on their own when they reached 48 degrees. So the thing is, the areas where the Aboriginal people were managing the territory, there were not these bushes because they were cleaning them up. Yeah, they would do uh, controlled... They, they were uh, controlling that. Yeah. So the thing is, there is a lot of knowledge and a lot of like consciousness that comes with other, you know, life ways of being in this planet that should have more of a... a, a they should... You know what I mean? Like, have more of a say or, like, they should be taken into consideration. When it comes to policy making, definitely. When it comes to, you know, things like preventing fire or preventing other things, you know, they should be considered as experts. Yeah. And they should be invited to, to all of these roundtables where the decisions are being made. Yeah, they should be at the table, They should at be least. at the table. They are decision makers. They take decisions on a daily basis of very, very high responsibilities. Which comes back and affects all of us as exactly. a society. Lastly, for our listeners, till when is In Transit Bodney of a Journey available to be viewed at the Jimmy Art Center? So it's available until the end of the agricultural calendar, which is May. Uh, most of the plants we have uh, are like one year life cycle. So they will naturally die uh, uh, by May when the temperatures are too high to survive. But by that time, they would have cropped. So basically, the garden will be on display until uh, the beginning of May. Okay, and that's because of the the weather here. Yeah, that because we're following the agricultural calendar. So anyone listening, you can come to the Jamil Art Center and check out the artist's garden. Lastly, where can our listeners go to learn more about uh, you, about the work you're doing to follow your progress? Do you have any social well, handles? I have, um, or do you have any? Well, I have a website okay. uh, that is uh, going to be up in the next uh, two days because I'm changing it. So. Okay, well, it'll be <laughs> but up. But soon, soon, yeah. very soon. <laughs> And then there is like plenty of information online from the other institutions that I work with. You can find uh, information like at the gallery that I work with, uh, Travesia Cuatro in Madrid, or uh, Delfina Foundation has information on my practice, or like other institutions that I work for. And then, well, there's an Instagram account, and there's. Yeah. And your website? What is your website for? Asuncionmolinos.com. Dot com. Sorry. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you.
You can find this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash Asuncion. That's A-S-U-N-C-I-O-N. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress. Thank you.